You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. In today's feature report, WFHB sports correspondent Leo Pies reports on the rise of pickleball. While pickleball has become the nation's fastest growing sport, it has also led to a rise in injuries. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB's consumer watchdog Richard Fish tells us how to be safe online on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment only on WFHB. More following today's feature, but first your local headlines. At their meeting on July 11th, the Monroe County Council approved the issuance of bonds for the Fullerton Pike Bridge project. The funds approved by the council will help with repayment of bonds up to $8 million, and the unspent money will help fund phase three of the Fullerton Pike project. So this is so Fullerton Pike phase three um, is phase three of three phases. It began in 2008 when it originated. Actually, the overall project uh, was in our master thoroughfare plan. I know at least back to 1995 from the first one that I saw. Um, I believe it was on maps before that. It was to be built as a southwest arterial road um, for the county. So it's been envisioned for for many, many years. Um, Phase one and phase two have been completed over the since 2017. Um, Phase three will start um, at Rockport Road and Fullerton Pike intersection. That will be a traffic signal. Um, We could not afford to, um, we looked into the option of putting in a roundabout at that intersection. But again, that would have added a one and a half million to $2 million cost to the project. Um, There will be a roundabout at Eagle, at Bachelor Drive and um, Gordon Pike um, that will mimic probably the um, roundabout that's at Rogers Street and Gordon Pike. The bridge will go over the um, the trail that is there, the Clear Creek Trail, I believe it goes over. It's a 524 foot bridge. It features a six foot median, a 10 foot multi-use path and a five foot sidewalk. Uh, the multi-use path and the sidewalk will be separated from the travel lanes with a concrete barrier trail rail. Um, and the bridge will cross over the Clear Creek Trail. Ramps will be constructed to connect the Clear Creek Trail with the sidewalk and the multi-use path. Um, at this time, utilities are being relocated so that when we go to letting, the letting date for this project, I believe it's November 13th, um, and then it will go uh, into construction in the spring of 2024 and it will take approximately 18 to 24 months for completion. Um, we will, we've received a lot of, um, again, this project is uh, probably one of the love-hate, love-hate projects. Um, you either like it or, or, or you don't. I think we've come a long way since 2017 in working with the residents in that area. Um, and 
we were just reaching out recently about progress meetings. Um, we've learned a lot, say, on the Bicentennial Pathway Project of getting notices out when we begin work, when a con contractor is hired, when we will hold pro progress meetings. Um, it's our goal to have an email group, as we did on this other project. It will send out updates to whoever signs up to that email list. Um, it will it will address any ad, uh, concerns, issues as the project is being built. Uh, it's a really busy area. Um, once you get into the, the school area, um, we've had the school system, the library reach out, how we can work with them on their drive. So there's a lot of obstacles to it, but um, we're trying to stay ahead of that so that we can have good communication going through um, and building this, this last pay, phase of Fullerton Pike. The council also approved the conversion of one of the two vacant juvenile supervision PO positions to add an additional evidence-based practices coordinator slash PO position. Chief Probation Officer Linda Brady explained the new position to the council. Thank you. I, Linda Brady, Chief Probation Officer. And boy, was that a mouthful. Um, dear, you did a good job with that. Um, so as you all know, because I've been sending you emails, the probation department has continued to experience problems with staff recruitment and retention. Um, in the past two years, we've only had a total of three weeks where our staff was fully um, staffed, where we didn't have any vacancies or full-time staff. So that's been unfortunate, but I know that we're not alone in this um, post-COVID world. With this, but every time we do have uh, somebody leave our department, we reassess the workload, the caseload, and just see: do we still need the position? Do we still need the position to do what it, the position was doing before? And so, in this case, we had two juvenile probation officers resign around the same time, and took a look at the caseload, the workload, and uh, talked this over with our presiding judge, Judge Dekoff, and also our juvenile judge, Judge Holly Hardy, to talk about what could we do with this position. So the decision was that we would go ahead and uh, ask permission from the council to refill one position with a juvenile supervision officer, but with the other uh, juvenile probation officer to make a request to change the job title, the job duties to an evidence-based practices coordinator position. Uh, just to give you a, a little background on evidence-based practices coordinator position, uh, we received funding from the Indiana Department of Correction in 2020, uh, 2021 for our first evidence-based practices coordinator, and that was funded from entirely from the Department of Correction grant. Um, since that time, we've been getting some advice from national consultants who've been working with us on a reducing revocation challenge and also on our JDAI, the Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative Project. And we've been told by numerous consultants that for a department of our size with 55 probation officers, that having just one evidence-based practice coordinator is not enough. They've made a recommendation that at minimally we need at least one more a position to help with training our staff and watching videos of our probation officers as they deliver the cognitive behavioral interventions to give them feedback and help coach them to be effective. We also know that if you deliver these kinds of cognitive behavioral interventions in an ineffective manner, you can actually do more harm than 
and good, you can increase recidivism by delivering these practices ineffectively. So it's very important that we have effective, not only evidence-based practices, but they're true to the way they're supposed to be implemented and that we continue to train our staff and coach our staff. So this is a request not to change any funding or anything like that, but to uh, have the juvenile probation, the second juvenile probation officer vacancy uh, to become an evidence-based practices coordinator to focus on primarily the juvenile staff or our department to help with training and coaching. And so I know this involves a salary ordinance change and deappropriation and appropriation and all that, but that's what it kind of boils down to. And if you have any questions, I'd be glad to try to answer them. Also discussed at the meeting was a capital improvement project for the Karst Athletic Complex. The executive director of the Cutter Soccer Club, Lewis Malone, shared with the council the club's support for the project. We are strongly in favor of this proposal. Cars Farm Park has been our home for years and years, and we're so happy to have it. Um, but it has, it's, it's, it's aging a bit. And so to begin that process of rejuvenation, I support whatever Kelly wants to do in this regard. She's talked to me quite a bit about it, and we are in support. Um, there was some concern, I will say, by our, by our board about turf, just generally in Bloomington and what that looks like. The natural infill is a great option, and uh, it will go a long way to, the, the engineer will speak more about this, but the entire process that they have planned out potentially to rejuvenate our park and to make that a place where we can have tournaments again, where we can have more play days, where we aren't going back to the parks board occasionally. It's very rare, but to say, hey, what's, what's going on here? Because we haven't been able to play this spring, which happened this past fall. Um, so I, we are in favor of it. It's good for our kids to be involved. They build social competencies. They build physical competencies. They build um, all psycho-emotional competencies. I'm going back to my old role. Um, and, and what that what sports bring to their community. We also, as a club, we focus on inclusion, as I said. So, so far this year, I've given out forty dollars to $50,000 in scholarships so that everybody can get to play. Continuing to use par public parks means that we can focus our energies on raising money to get more kids involved instead of raising money to go develop something else. And I love the partnership we've developed. We just signed a five-year deal to continue using Cars Farm Park, and we strongly support what the Parks Department has put forward in terms of improving the conditions of play. Um, and I'm happy to answer any questions. The project to replace the current field would cost nearly $4.4 million. However, the Karst Athletic Complex, along with Mr. Malone, argued the renovation would bring more athletic events to the area. I would say Cutter Soccer Club, I'll let um, you speak or Pete speak to other things that might okay. be Cutter Soccer Club. We had been having the Jerry Yeagley Classic, named after one of the famous people here. Um, and we had to stop, not only because of field conditions, we were getting some complaints from people, why are we traveling in here to play and then the fields might not be what we'd like for them to be, mm -hmm. um, but for a variety of reasons. So it's not entirely that. Um, but right now, if you're going to have a tournament that is really bringing in a good number of teams, over 100 teams from around the from around the Midwest primarily. Um, you need to have uh, guaranteed uh, fields where, that are going to be uh, able to be played on. <laughs> that's, that's pretty routine. Um, and most top 
teams or top tournaments want to have turf fields for those championship games, those games where technique really, I don't want to get into the performance side of it so much, but, but it really comes to play. So it really makes this an opportunity to be a magnet, not just for Cutter Soccer Club, for other uh, opportunities, sports opportunities. And I know that because of our we are in between Evansville and Indianapolis. <laughs> there are a lot of people that like to play neutral sites games here too. And it really just would benefit all of those people seeking to use Bloomington as a place to play soccer. The Monroe County Council will meet again on August 8, 2023. During the July 12, 2023 Bloomington Board of Park Commissioners meeting, Community Relations Coordinator Emily Buck presented the Bravo Award to Steve Bailey, Winslow Woods Park Ambassador. Buck commented on the work Bailey has done at the parks. Um, staff would like to recognize Steve Bailey with the July Bravo Award. Uh, Steve is our current park ambassador for Winslow Woods. As a park ambassador, he visits the woods every week and reports on its conditions to the department. Uh, he looks for and removes litter, informs us of any repairs that need made, and keeps an eye out for any new vandalism or suspicious behavior. Uh, I believe he's been in his role at Winslow Woods since 2021, but he has also previously served as an ambassador at Bryan Park and Building Trades Park as well. Um, so today was my first time meeting Steve in person, um, but I've always appreciated his detailed and kind observation reports. Um, he always tells us of the birds he sees, uh, wishes us happy holidays, says we, he hopes we're doing well. Um, so, so, you know, something that's not necessary, but is always, always really nice to see, always brings a smile to my face. The next topic covered was the approval and review of commercial service of Bloomington Incorporated for a dog wash station at Switchyard Park Dog Park, which was presented by the Switchyard Park General Manager, Sean Marler. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Sean Marler, Switchyard Park General Manager. Staff recommends the approval of a contract with Commercial Services uh, Bloomington to install a water line, dog rinse, water fixture, trough drainage, and drainage line uh, at the Switchyard Park large dog chamber. Uh, total not to exceed 11,260. Funding source is basically an ARPA source. Uh, this was one of our long-term goals. Uh, the photos up here are the fixture which they would furnish as part of the project. Uh, it is a rinse station, not a water uh, bath station. The difference being since it's going into stormwater, uh, people aren't supposed to use soap or chemicals or anything. Okay. And it looks like, do you, do you have to have a hose attached to it or so you can just use the spigot and... There will be a hose on each side okay. that can be used to either fill dog water bowls or to, uh, to rinse off dogs. We get dogs who get muddy, and yes. currently mm -hmm. there's no way to wash the dogs off. At Ferguson, our existing dog park, there is a wash station, so this would be adding the amenity that exists in our other park. A motion was made to approve the contract, which was carried unanimously. The next Bloomington Board of Park Commissioners meeting has been scheduled for Tuesday, August 22, 2023. In today's feature report, WFHB sports correspondent Leo Pies reports on the rise of pickleball. While pickleball has become the nation's fastest growing sport, it has also led to a rise in injuries. Correspondent Leo Pies has more.
1965, Congressman Joel Pritchard improvised a game of badminton with ping pong paddles and a perforated plastic ball to play with his family over the weekend after being unable to find a complete set of badminton rackets. As the game went on, they realized that a lower net would make the game better, and thus, in his house just outside Seattle, pickleball was created. The sport spread around the U.S. and grew throughout the decades, but it was only after the COVID-19 pandemic that pickleball really became mainstream. Since 2020, the total number of players in the U.S. went from 3.5 million to over 36 million as of January 2023. The sport is specially known to be appealing to elderly people as its low-impact nature and easy-to-play dynamic makes it easier for them. Brandon Mackey, co-founder of Pickleheads, a website where you can find people, courts, and equipment to play, played tennis his whole life and made the switch to pickleball when he saw the low-impact nature of the sport. Pickleball is definitely easier on the body. Uh, there's less court to cover, so there's less running. Um, you, your best advantage is playing up at the net. So usually you're up at the net, which you don't do a lot of running there. It's mostly about having quick hands and hitting strategic shots. So there's a lot more strategy, I think, in pickleball than raw athleticism. Um, so you can definitely play longer. Um, you can play later into life because of that. As the Medical University of South Carolina puts it, pickleball offers a good workout without as much stress on joints and muscles. It also helps with hand-eye coordination, which is crucial for daily activities like eating or driving, and with balance, helping avoid falls. But that doesn't mean that injuries do not happen. As CNN reports, 86% of pickleball injuries occurred in people over 60 years old. Most of these injuries are sprains, strains, and fractures. To avoid that, Dr. Laura John Gregorio, a professor and Schlegel Research Chair in Mobility and Aging at the University of Waterloo in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, recommends that older people participate in muscle and balance training. The fact that we should be physically active is common in messaging. What is missed is the fact that you should be doing strength training and balance training. Um, so I, I, when you ask, you know, how important is it for people to be doing impact exercise? I think it's important for people to do physical activity that gets their heart rate pumping, that gets them working a little bit harder than they would normally do. Um, and if, if they want to do a low impact exercise, like pickleball or dancing or whatever that may be, walking, that's great. Um, but I do think that they should also uh, participate in strength training to maintain muscle mass or increase muscle mass and also do balance training uh, to maintain balance and prevent falls. To ease the transition to the court, Dr. John Gregorio advised people to start easy and slowly increase the intensity and volume of the workout. Another thing is that if you're planning on starting to play pickleball, you should look at other activities that can prepare your body first so the transition to the court is easier. What's really important is to understand what your abilities are, and if you're starting a new activity that you um, sort of progress the intensity or the volume of that activity at um, a rate that's appropriate for your physical fitness level. So if someone starts and they're already an athlete, it's probably really easy for them to jump in to another type of sport because they have the physical abilities. So if someone has never played a sport and is not physically active, then they need to kind of 
start, if they're going to start something new, they want to start at a lower intensity and progress the intensity over time, or they want to start at a low volume of activity and progress over time. So for example, use the example of pickleball. So if they want to, they might not want to enter a pickleball tournament where they have to play four games which they've never played before, because that's a high volume of activity, right? But, you know, if they started, maybe they start with 10 or 20 minutes at a time and see how that goes. Right. So I think it's starting with the intensity and volume of activity that's appropriate for your physical fitness level. The other thing is, if you want to do an activity, um, it might be a good idea to think about what other things you can do to condition your body to be prepared for those activities. So um, there are actually studies showing, you know, more and more injuries showing up because of pickleball, um, because people are, you know, who are not physically active are jumping into these pickleball leagues and then they're falling and they're hurting themselves. So, you know, if you want to play pickleball, then, then maybe you think about doing some balance exercises and doing some strength exercises and, you know, getting more physical activity generally so that you are conditioned and, and physically fit enough to play the sport that you want to play. But pickleball is not only for elderly people. The sport is attracting a younger audience, especially after the pandemic, as Mackie points out. And the rise in popularity among younger people can partly explain the spike in numbers of players. For decades, it was only played in senior communities in, in Florida and Arizona. And I think the, the pandemic was an important catalyst uh, to bring it to younger people. If you think about that time, the gyms were shut down, a lot of the typical outlets to get activity uh, for younger folks weren't available. And pickleball provided uh, a great opportunity for that. You could go outside, play, socialize responsibly. And I think a lot of young people found the sport, myself included, during that time period. Um, young people are good with social media and spreading it to their friends. And pickleball is a very, like, kind of viral, spreadable sport that you can, anyone can pick up. So people would invite kind of their whole friend groups to come out and play. And I think that really helped spread the sport. Now you're seeing these dense urban communities, maybe in Atlanta, Denver, um, Austin, Texas, starting to lead the sport forward, where historically it was, you know, like I said, like kind of Arizona, Florida. So it's been exciting. And the average age of pickleball players, you know, is dropping. It's below 35 now, the first time ever. And I think more and more that's going to continue to find its way to young people. And Bloomington is following the lead of bigger metropolitan cities. Alex Lynn, a Bloomington resident, started to play pickleball after a family trip to South Carolina and hasn't stopped since. Uh, I probably only started playing about eh, maybe a year ago now, last summer. Um, uh, I went to vacation in South Carolina and, um, you know, in a lot of the summer uh, resort areas, um, pickleball has actually become a huge thing um, for uh, you know, the older communities, because it, you know, a lot of people grew up playing tennis, but the older you get, it's harder <laughs> to keep up with it. So, um, so yeah, it became huge there. My parents fell in love with it and, um, they kind of just spread the bug to the rest of our family. So, um, now every summer, uh, I try to golf as much as I can, but this is super easy to come out, you know, play, play in it for an hour or two and then, uh, go home. I, I absolutely love it. As the sport becomes more and more popular, Dr. John Gregorio urges people of all ages to look at the National Physical Activities Guideline and try to meet them so they can be prepared to start a new sport. Also encouraging people to meet National Physical Activity Guidelines. So if you're not already out there, you know, walking and doing other types of running or dancing or doing other types of physical activity, or if you're not doing strength training or not doing balance training, incorporating those things 
in addition to the pickleball or maybe before you start so that you, you get yourself ready to, to be doing those things, right? And if you're really interested, you could even talk to a physical therapist or an exercise physiologist about, okay, well, I want to be playing pickleball. Like, what are some exercises I can do to get me stronger and improve my balance for those sorts of things? National guidelines for physical activities can be found at the National Institutes of Health website. For WFHB, I'm Leo Pais. Up next, WFHB's consumer watchdog Richard Fish tells you how to stay safe online on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment here on WFHB. We turn now to host and producer Richard Fish. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Okay, get ready to take notes or record this if you can, because there's a lot of good information about to come your way. The Better Business Bureau has sent a list of the most important things you need to do to stay safe online. Cyber attacks from pirates, scammers, and other countries are happening all the time now. Massive data breaches in the past few years guarantee that at least some of your personal information is for sale on the dark web. It's getting more dangerous out there, so listen up. Share with care. Posts on social media last a long time. Consider who will see the post, how it might be perceived, and what information it might reveal about you. Manage your privacy settings. Check the privacy and security settings on all your web services and apps and set them to your comfort level. Yes, you have to do this for each browser, email program, application on your computer or on your phone and every internet-connected device. Personal info is like money. Value it. Protect it. Things like your purchase history, IP address, or location have great value to businesses just like money. Find out what information a business collects before using their website. Make your passwords long and strong. Use a combination of upper and lower case letters, numbers, and symbols. Don't use a password more than once. Have a different one for every login. Don't store them on your computer. Write them down on paper, or use a password program like Bitwarden or 1Password. Keep tabs on apps. Many apps ask for access to things like your geographic location, contacts list, even your photo album. Beware of any app that wants information that isn't needed for the services they offer. If you don't use an app, delete it. If you do, make sure that it's kept updated. Lock down your login. Even a unique username and a strong password may not be good enough. Use two-factor authentication, where the site emails you a code to enter before it lets you in for your most important key accounts like email, banking, social media, and connecting your mobile devices. Don't click on unfamiliar links. 
When you see a link in an email or on a website, never click unless you are certain of who is providing the link. Even then, hold your cursor over the link and look to see if it goes somewhere else. Pay attention to Internet-connected devices. Smart thermostats, voice control systems, cars, and even refrigerators are just the beginning of the growing list of devices that watch our homes and track our location. Before you buy one or turn it on, make sure you know what information it collects and how it's used. That's just a quick list. Go to bbb.org, look for cybersecurity, and get more info. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information is online at mpisolarenergy.com. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 